to the Sister Sista podcast. I started this podcast as a guide for the young woman coming into her own and for the woman who is still trying to figure it out. I'm your host, Trudy, a stay-at-home mom who's building a community for women to uplift each other and to feel connected by similar life experiences. We're talking about lifestyle, health, relationships, current events, and so much more. So get comfy and listen in. Hi, welcome to the Sister Sister Podcast. I'm Trudy, your host. Today, I'm having a discussion with Ebony. And for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with you, Ebony, please um, let us know exactly what you do, a little bit more about yourself as well. Perfect. Thank you so much for having me. As you mentioned, my name is Ebony. Um, My brand name is Ebony L. And what I do is I work with women of color to help them level up and achieve their best lives by teaching them how money works. And what I mean by that is helping them to build savings, but really to eliminate their debt. I think that usually for a lot of women, we don't think we can have it all. And my goal is to reveal to them that we can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So I think it's going to be great to have this discussion and getting into a lot of um, different stuff. I said, with like debt management and helping women of color to level up their finances. So a couple of questions that we wanted to go over today. Um, so starting, what would be like your golden rule for debt management? So I would say this is like a trick question. Um, actually, what got me into finance was the fact that I was literally on track to going broke. Um, I had racked up so much debt. And even though when I compare to other people, it wasn't that much. Mm-hmm. It was a lot for me when you think debt to income ratio. And I was in a place where a lot of people, especially women are, where it's like, will I ever get rid of this? Um, I've also done that habit where it's like, okay, I made a lot of money this month. I'm going to pay it all off. But then it would boomerang and it would come back. Or I would say, okay, I'm going to pay this thing with this credit card and I'm just going to put the money right back. But Mm -hmm. then Paul, Sally, Tom, they all need something else and you forget about that bill. So um, I guess if there was one golden rule, it would be that when you use your credit card, try not to use it for emergencies, but ensure that whatever you're purchasing, you're willing to pay it off within the next 30 days. The best practice is to have that money. So like for Christmas, people are going credit card crazy. And my rule of thumb really is that if you wouldn't buy that with the money that's on your debit card right now, Mm -hmm. probably don't buy it on the credit card because what happens is it's going to end up sitting there and it's just going to continue to grow. So try to have the money prepared or set aside. And you Mm -hmm. can also create like a a payment plan, right? So if you're buying something that costs $1,000, maybe saying, I'm going to pay $50 bi-weekly so that I can pay this off by X amount of time. Mm, Good plan. That's a good plan. It's interesting. I heard something on the radio today, um, like going into like the holiday season and going into the new year, they were saying on average, most Canadians will be spending $800 over their budget and putting it onto credit cards. And we know typically around that time where it's like the season of giving, people spend a little bit more. And then when it comes to January, February, we're like, oh, time to pay it off, (laughs) right? And then we're in this kind of state of, sometimes people are in a state of panic because they really overspent. So it really is good to um, plan throughout, or as you said, putting money aside and putting kind of like a layaway almost. Absolutely. And I think that's such a good point that you make too. Like uh, this Christmas, my budget is just about a thousand dollars, which for some people they'd say like, that's a lot. But in the past I've had budgets of 5,000. And when I look back and think, I'm like, how did you do all that? (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. how did you make all of that happen? Right. And now, because I love to give extravagantly. Mm -hmm. And I think um, I work with a lot of women of color. And I think one of our strengths is that we give and we give really well, yeah. which means we spend a lot. Yeah. And um, I think that the best way to think of this is set a goal and stick to it. Yes. But remember, like you said, once we cross over into the new year, you don't want to start in a position that's worse off than where you left off at the end of the year. Yeah. Uh, and that's what that can do to you if not paid off and paid attention to in time. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, so what would be when it comes to growing money or going into the new year, um, people might have 
maybe some money set aside and they're like, okay, how do I start to like grow my money? Or they're thinking like, I want to get into crypto and you know, my money is going to go to the moon, but what's like an actual realistic expectation when it comes to growing money and money growth? This is a really good question, especially because of the um, economic climate that we're in. Um, I have a lot of clients right now that come to me and they're like, I just want to make my money double, triple, like in the next couple of months or in the next year. Um, but because we're still in a recession, which I feel like a lot of Canadians are scared to say, like we're in denial about it, we're still in a recession. And so this makes it really good for us to buy into any market, crypto, um, like you mentioned, um, stock market, Forex, anything, right? But it means that it's going to take us a little bit longer to see the returns that we're looking for. Um, and so because you get these Boxing Day sales on mm -hmm. all of these things that you can invest in, it means that for the next year, potentially, you're going to see subpar performance, which means I would say go in and be happy getting um, potentially a 6% return. If you're somebody who's higher risk, potentially you're getting like a, an average or constant 10% return. Um, and then wait for us to bounce back from this recession, because the more units you buy of something, when the price goes up, then you start to see those larger gains. Um, another part of this question is oftentimes when I meet with somebody, they're like, okay, where's the 300% return? And then I ask them the question, are you comfortable, if you put in 100,000, are you comfortable seeing a statement of 60,000? And they're like, no, no. And I'm like, therefore, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 300% return. So I would say in this climate, expect anywhere between six to 10%, but it also depends on where you're investing. Because if you're just leaving your money in a high interest savings account, you can expect like less than 1% mm -hmm. forever. Yeah, unfortunately with, the, with those kind of savings accounts. Um, and it does take time, as you're saying, it can be like a year. I know automatically people think, or if it's like, getting to like getting into real estate it's more mm -hmm. than just like six months it takes a while for you to get you know your return on your investment and, and have your the equity grow and most things now it doesn't take like it's not going to be weeks it's not going to be three to six months it's going to take some time and I know I think maybe with like our generation like millennials or like gen z's are just thinking okay like I can make I can double my money mm -hmm. in in six months but realistically you can double it and you can also lose it you can lose it all too very yes. quickly so they have to remember that too in this type of environment and re remembering that we as you said we are in a recession like mm -hmm. maybe not everyone realizes but we are in a recession and kind of like in a state of inflation too oh highest inflation ever and I think um, I mean, this is not a question, but I'll make reference to it. When saving and growing your money, I think a lot of people forget to account for inflation, right? So within the past two years, we're kind of at a 4% inflation rate. And if you're somebody who's been making 3% interest and you're kind of good with that, you're still negative 1% because whatever you made can't buy you the same amount of vegetables, the same amount of gas. Like gas is such an obvious sign oh of inflation right now yeah and so when we think of expectations one thing that i like to say is it's a mindset thing too right how much do you want to make knowing that inflation is high if you drive a range rover on premium gas and you're paying 160 right now then you need a really high <laughs> rate of return for your money to be making sense and working for you um so it's good to consider all of these little things and to also again consider risk right um, yes, you can double your money in the next hour, but as easily as you can double it or triple it, you can lose it all. So uh, these are all important things to keep note of. Mm -hmm. How like how can you save and still want to treat yourself? My trick or my hack is that you do both. Um, one thing that I got wrong in my early ages was that I was somebody who did the responsible thing. So we responsibly budget groceries, gas insurance, car insurance, et cetera. But when we try to treat ourselves, we don't budget for it, right? And therefore, when something comes up, we're pulling either from mm -hmm. credit or we're pulling from our savings. And then we kind of set ourselves backwards. The trick is to one, incorporate your goals and lifestyles into your budget, right? If you want to travel five times a year, which is what I was doing, then save for it. But when I was doing that and I didn't save for it, after every single trip I came back, 
it was like, okay, now I've got to pay that off. And by the next trip, I had finished paying off the first trip. So now I have to use a credit card again. Mm-hmm. And so um, you want to incorporate it. Things like self-care, like getting a massage um, for women, especially every time I look at women, I say, does your cash flow look accurate here? They're like, no. I'm like, okay, did you put in your nails, your lashes, mm-hmm. your hair? Oh, I forgot about that. These are things that to treat ourselves, to make ourselves feel good, we're going to do it anyways. And so mm-hmm. the trick to keep yourself motivated to save and to keep yourself going in terms of self-care is to merge them, which means like I used to go to the bank and I'd be like, can I get $50 out of my car account, please? Mm-hmm. And they're like, you're what? <laughs> this account here is for my car. And so you might have a travel fund, you might have a financial independence fund, a hair, lash, nail fund, whatever it is, you create these little accounts or little pockets for which you Mm -hmm. save money. And then you continue to set monthly goals so you can achieve them. Um, And in doing that, again, you'll be so happy. And that's part of having it all doing the things that you love, without depriving yourself of being able to save, but doing the things you love and flourishing financially at the same time. Mm -hmm. Would you say that there's ever that there would ever be a point where you would tell someone, okay, you need to rein in your like rein it in, and maybe you have to take a break from doing your hair or doing your nails or even if it's like making that sacrifice. Like a lot of people were like, okay, I had to make that sacrifice, and I didn't do you know my nails for a month, and I didn't go get my hair done because sometimes these things are costing women thousands of dollars a month yes. to maintain, and it's like say if you lost your job or you know stuff like that it it happens your income can go down and you're like okay that's the person that's going to go is maybe your self-care or you treating yourself so would you say don't do it at all maybe treat yourself to one thing or what would you say to someone who's on a really really tight budget so what i would say when it comes to cash flow is the first thing is is there any way we can increase your cash flow um if not then we have to start cutting stuff And while I'm the financial professional that hurts a little inside when I cut those things, like you mentioned, it's only temporary and you can add them back when there's cash flow. And so essentially what we look to do is one, open up cash flow from different areas. Your non-discretionary is non-negotiable. So I can't change your rent. I can talk Mm. to your landlord for you, but it's not (laughs) going to be successful. Um, And so we look at all that stuff. And like you said, in an emergency, when you build an emergency fund, you're only saving for the non-negotiables. You don't say, I got to get my lashes done. No, I'm sorry. I have no lashes as I'm in emergency, right? Um, But when it comes to cutting expenses so that you can open up cash flow, whether that be for savings or whether that be to get into the positive, I feel like when I speak to a lot of people, I say spend less than you earn. They say Mm -hmm. it's so obvious, right? But when we look at the numbers and we actually create a budget, they're spending far more than they earn. And like you said, this can cost thousands of dollars per month for women. And if we're not keeping track of it, and if it's not in our budget, sometimes we're negative $1,000 and we've never even realized. Mm -hmm. And so my goal is to get people in the green and then help them save. And so if that means you have to cut it off, like you said, it can be cutting down to one service but it depends. Does it cost you per month $300 to get your lashes done and also $300 to get your nails done? Because then we got to cut everything. (laughs) Yeah, right? Like, it's like, I remember like going over my little sister's like budget and like she's in the early 20s and I'm like, okay, power to you, treat yourself. But she was like, my nails, my lashes, my waxing, my, and I'm just like, wow, you're a big spender. Okay. Okay, so, but it's like she understood, okay, I want to get these things done and I want to be able to treat myself and have my self care, but she works hard for it and she budgets it. So she makes yes. sure that she's still in the green. And if it gets to a point where she's like, okay, like I'm going back to school, I'm not going to be making as much, then she knows, okay, I have to rein it in and I'm going to have to have a bit of a sacrifice at that time. So she kind of got onto that habit of budgeting and always staying in the green and kind of living below you know what she's earning so yeah no that's that's important you've gotta you've gotta budget it have a favorite so that maybe when you start cutting things off you keep that one thing for last um but the the thing is 
Um, I'm all about keeping everything that you've worked for. Absolutely. It's actually my mantra. Like, but at the same time, sometimes we have to do a little bit of a sacrifice for more reward in the next couple of months. Um, and what I find with my clients is that sometimes that downtime where you have to cut something out, that is the time where they really start to build wealth, even mm -hmm. if it's just that small initial piece that can lead to something that they need in the future. Yeah, that is true. That's huge. If it's like, okay, like I have a goal to get the down payment or if it's to get a car or to pay off, like I want to get, get rid of debt on these three credit cards. And some people will cut everything. They're not going out to fancy restaurants. They're not um, like doing the nails, doing the lashes or doing any kind of fun stuff for a while, but they really will realize, oh my gosh, like I saved $3,000 this month. I saved the extra $2,500. And maybe that might even make them question, but mm -hmm. why was I spending this much? Or maybe I should, maybe I don't have to go as often. So it also changes people's, I think, perspective or maybe mentality a little bit sometimes if they're maybe overindulging. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a good thing to, again, have that budget. Absolutely. Having that budget. And kind of, as I said, like having a good hack there for that. Um, how would you, or what tools do you think women could use to help grow their wealth? I know there's a lot out there. Yeah. It's <laughs> stock markets, as we said, there is real estate, there is having a side hustle. Yeah. So there's, like you said, there's so many different options. Um, it all goes back to your personality, right? Um, I find that like, let's think about this economy right now. Some women want to achieve a goal within the next one to three years. And the stock market may or may not be able to do them, that for them that quickly. It just depends on, you know, is there going to be another Omarion variant that happens like oh. in the next? You know, so depending on all of that, the stock markets will kind of be at peak performance and it's going to be not exciting. So if you're somebody who has a short-term goal and you have cash flow, real estate is actually right now one of the best investments that you can make, um, especially if you're getting into like new builds, things like that, um, because it really helps you to double up your money and achieve your goals and dreams. I, I find, especially for single mothers, I work with a lot of single mothers their, their biggest goal is that they want to buy a home for their family. Mm -hmm. But as we know, in this lovely city we call home, mm -hmm. it's too expensive for anybody to be able to do anything like that, especially if you have more than one child. Like mm -hmm. if it's just you and one child, it's a little bit easier. But when you have two, three kids and you want everybody to have their own room, it almost becomes impossible. Yeah. And so real estate is something that is almost like a sure-in to ensure that you can get a return. And like you mentioned, it may not be immediate if you're buying a standing home or a resale home, but if you're buying a new build and you have some time, two, three years, then that would almost be an instantaneous flip and uh, return. Mm -hmm. um, you did mention the stock market, and I think that there's the stock market is so broad and it's very intimidating. Yeah. Um, and actually, it takes a lot of time to go through and figure out what you like. Like there's some women that are like, I just like Lululemon. So I just want to buy that stock because I know it and I like their clothes and the stock price is so high and you're wondering, well, why am I not seeing any growth here? Well, because we don't have enough units, right? Yeah. And so one thing that I always recommend is funds. I like funds because they're already diversified for you. You can get the Lululemons, the TNAs, the Aritzias all bundled into one package, but you don't have to spend per se $100 per unit to try to get in and get some skin in the game. Um, I also find that when we're in a market like we're in now, diversified funds are positively amazing because they still tend to perform. But when one thing is underperforming, you have a bunch of other things, whether that be equities, fixed income, all of those things working to ensure that you're still kind of in the green. Mm -hmm. I mean, unless one day we wake up and every single thing on the market is red. It's then back to March they, 2020. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're ringing that bell again. <laughs> yes. So that could be you there, but I just like that it gives you that diverse uh, diversification and you don't have to constantly be watching. Um, if you are like a boss woman and you've got time between 9 a.m. to like 12 and you can sit down and really watch, then the market is for you. Because if you have the time to look at balance sheets, you have the time to make some day trades, then you can actually see some good returns right now. The same thing for cryptocurrency. Uh, cryptocurrency can be a long-term ret uh, return. Uh, when I think of things like Ethereum and Bitcoin, I first invested in Bitcoin in 20, 
14. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when it was, it was so cheap then when I think about it, like yeah. less than $10,000. And when I think about leaving my money in there at that time, I could make quick flips, right? Like mm-hmm. a bunch of them. And that's the great thing about cryptocurrency. But for a lot of these bigger ones, you're really in it for the long haul. So if you're looking to do like quicker returns uh, and quick flips, look for some of those smaller coins like Unicoin, Dogecoin, XRP, those types of coins that are now long-term coins started off as something very small that you could buy lots of and then sell. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, there are other vehicles that you can use. Specifically, while we talk about investing uh, in the stock market, you can open a TFSA or an RSP both of them for different tax reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, RSP, because it's taxed later on when you take the money out. I don't recommend putting all your money in there, of course, unless you're taking it out as uh, a first-time home buyer or as a student where you can take it out for tax-free. Yeah, okay. You say that crypto is a long-term, like, like, would you consider it to be an investment or it's, a, it's speculative? Um, 100%, it's an investment. Uh, The reason why I say that is in 2014, actually in 2013, 2014, I had an aunt and she was like, get on this thing. And I'm like, okay, this is just a quick fad, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I got into it in 2014 and I lost touch with it and then rekindled my love for crypto maybe in 2018. But all this while I still had coins Mm -hmm. and I I had lots of Ripple, I had lots of Cardano, I had Mm -hmm. lots of Bitcoin, like I had a lot of everything. And um, I was just, how old was I then? Like 20. And I just put like a thousand dollars in and then an extra 500. And when I look at what I have now, it's a long game because at that time I purchased so low that mm-hmm. now when there's fluctuations, it all I'm matter. seeing is growth. Yeah. Yes. Right. And so I can continue to purchase, but I foresee that this is going to continue to grow um, just because it's, it's another thing for the people, right? Um, it's kind of like creating our own market. And while it sounds like it wouldn't last, because at first I was thinking, why would this last? Mm-hmm. Um, it's such an important thing now because we can't really trust where our money is i think that's the fear and that's why financial institutions and kind of like the government and where that's going to go exactly right so cryptocurrency don't get me wrong is very risky Mm -hmm. if you forget your password if you are not using two-factor authentication if you are loose with anything it's very easy for you to lose everything that you put in there and there's no police system there's no reporting it's gone um so it is risky But at the same time, it is slightly the future. So I always say get in, even if it's just a little bit and Mm -hmm. see what happens, because we don't know what it would look like in the next 10 years, 20 years. Right. That's true. So it is good to dabble in a number of things, because I know sometimes, at least for myself and how I was introduced to kind of investing was like, okay, just stick to the stock markets and just stick to like Canadian stock markets. And then after a while, I was like, okay, I need to nibble in like the US, I need to maybe potentially look at um, real estate and maybe start to nibble a little bit into into crypto. So I think it's, would you also that's to say that that's a good idea too, to kind of maybe dabble a little bit in everything or even just see if it's like, okay, maybe the stock markets are for me, or maybe I should try in real estate or to see what really fits or maybe all can fit at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, back to the concept of diversification, I used to be a very high risk investor, obviously, right? Somebody's like, go invest in this cryptocurrency. And I went to an ATM at the back of a shady uh, (laughs) convenience store and I dropped a thousand dollars in there and left like good investment. (laughs) So I was high risk. And because of that, I really love the stock markets from the U.S. Everybody does. I love them. And at one point, I was only investing in the U.S. stock market. So imagine, you know, the beloved Trump would tweet something and then everything would change. Yeah. Because I know how to invest, it was an opportunity for me to get back into the market. Mm-hmm. But for many other people, especially if they needed the money at that particular time, it was a loss. And so if you're invested solely in the stock market, let's think of 2008. It doesn't matter what you're invested in. If everything is red, It's all red, right? But if you were invested in 2008 in the stock market and cryptocurrency, then it means that you always have options, right? And Mm -hmm. so it diversifies so that if something goes wrong in one of your investments, you haven't put all of your eggs into one basket. 
Um, and that's the thing I like about real estate too. For a lot of people, they say, well, I don't have the money for a down payment, then invest in real estate shares. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's such a popular thing now. Like, okay, 10 people own, yes, exactly. And real estate's a great market. Can it happen that the real estate market crashes? Absolutely. That's why you don't invest in it by itself, right? So diversification is so key. But I do think based on your goals and based on what you like, right, um, you may play more heavily in some areas than others. Like if you're saving up for a house, you're Mm -hmm. not going to put it in your cryptocurrency uh, investments. Just because the thing with cryptocurrency is it's so volatile that when you go to the mortgage lender and you're like, okay, I'm ready to make my purchase, everything's gone. (laughs) Yeah. So depending on, again, the timeline, what it's for, um, all of those things, then you kind of begin to filter what goal you put into which vehicle. Mm -hmm. And I know for like some of my friends or like family members, so say if you're, you're starting off or you just, you know, filed for bankruptcy and you're like, okay, like I want to start to build my finances up again and say they have maybe 200, $300, like what's an a, a decent amount to kind of say, okay, I'm going to maybe go into funds or go into indexes or bonds or um, crypto, like what amount would they, would be like a comfortable or kind of safe amount to say, okay, I'm ready to start investing. I think that's a good, really good question. And it's a question that a lot of people have. And I'm actually asked this question a lot. The answer also depends. Um, like somebody who has, I have clients where they're like, I've only got this hundred dollars mm-hmm. and outside of this hundred dollars, I live paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. So this is what we're working with, right? Um, again, with time, compound interest and the right investment choices, that hundred dollars can become a thousand. And then when you add compound interest, it's 2000, 4,000, 8,000. So it really mm-hmm. just depends on where you put it and the rate of return that you're giving. A number that I like to kind of stick at is 500. Most oftentimes when you work with a financial institution and you say, I'm looking to dump money in, as long as they're fair, because there are some that would say like, you need to put in 250,000. Um, there's some that say your first investment should at least be of $500, if not $50 biweekly, right? And I think $500 is a good amount because it's just enough to attract growth. Um, it's just enough to purchase a lot of units. Like think about it, if you're buying a fund that costs $25 and you put in $100, well, yay, we've got four units, but it can only give you so much growth. Over time, it will be great. But when you're looking at it over the years, it could have been so much more had you had more units. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you do 500 now, it gives you a little bit more skin in the game so that you can see higher returns as the market fluctuates. And then after that, you can aim to think of you know, can I add some more money on top of that? And this is a recommendation I make for a lot of people. Sometimes we oversave. So there's two types of people, people who need pre-authorized withdrawals to save, right? Mm -hmm. Otherwise they'll never save. It doesn't matter what you tell them. It doesn't matter what their goals are. And it's just about discipline. So there's some people who say it has to come out automatically. And there's some people who overcommit. So they're like, yeah, I'm going to save $600 biweekly, pre-authorize it out. And then at the end of the month, they're like, no, no, I've got to take it all back out, right? And Mm -hmm. so for some, depending on where you are, you can pre-authorize it out or you can just deposit as you have extra. Wait Mm -hmm. until the end of the month. See, even if you have $25 left over, that's still something. And Mm -hmm. for a lot of different stock options, that's a unit. Okay. And do you find having like that plan and kind of setting that goal helps people if they say, okay, this is the goal then and you can slowly see okay it's actually coming coming together compared to oh i just have this money and let's let's do something with it but if there's a goal then there's more determination behind it absolutely um it's very easy like i used to save i I used to be a really good saver um i'm an even better saver now sometimes i surprise myself but one thing that i used to realize is like i would save 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 and then after a couple months you're like okay great what's this for And that's why, if you notice, like every account that I mentioned of mine, it has a name. Mm -hmm. Because if it doesn't have a name, what's going to happen is I'm going to book a flight to Abu Dhabi and I'm going to use that money because I'm like, what is it there for? Mm -hmm. Um, So whenever you have a goal attached to anything in life, I feel like it generally keeps you more motivated, Um, especially when it's something important. Like if you're like, my goal is to buy a thousand pairs of shoes 
unless it's really a bleeding heart goal of yours, yeah. like chances are you're not going to stick to the goal. But if you're somebody who's like, I want to pass on generational wealth to my kids, mm-hmm. for sure, you're going to work towards achieving those goals. And um, I think it, again, it just goes back to who you are as a person, mm-hmm. um, what you really want to achieve. And like, uh, we usually set what they call should goals, right? Like maybe you're not really interested in buying a house, but you're thinking about it because you should And it's not really motivating for you to save up for a down payment because deep down, it's not something you care to do. Um, And so drop all your should goals and really just start to think about what you want your life to look like. Mm -hmm. Um, And one thing that I like to add, like some seasoning Mm -hmm. is think about time, right? Like we don't have an an infinite amount of time on this earth. And so between A and point B, what is it that you want your life to look like? How do you want people to remember you? And for some people, it's like, I just want to donate money. I want to have my own hospital wing. Perfect. Then do that. I want to have my own properties or I want to do this. Like sometimes people have really weird goals, but I love them always because it's their goal. Like I had a Mm -hmm. client, she was like, I want to, I want to open a winery. I'm like, I love that. I love it. (laughs) And she's like, you know, I want to open a winery of people who's like, I want to buy horses just because And so when something is driving you like that, it's very hard for you to quit. But I think this is where accountability partners come into play. Because as you know, like when you're starting, I'm sure when you were starting this podcast, you know, there were a lot of things that pushed you to do it. And then there were things that probably came into mind, like, should I do it? You know, will it be good? And that's what happens to every person. So sometimes even when we have amazing goals, there's something in our mind telling us we can't achieve it. It's a stupid goal. You never mind, just forget about it. And when you have an accountability partner or accountability partners, they come back and they say, remember when you said, right? I noticed that you stopped saving. What happened mm-hmm. to this? And I think that that's such an important key piece because it's easy for anybody to quit, but the people that you have in your circle and their level of accountability towards you um, will kind of bring you all the more further to achieving those goals. That's that's a goal for going into 2022 find yourself an accountability partner (laughs) partners um everybody needs that person absolutely um I had another question when it comes to kind of like finance and a little bit of like motivation do you find that not to like compare yourself to another person but if you surround yourself with you know, people that either are on your level or have that same type of ambition or drive when it comes to finances or other personal goals, or they're kind of just have the same projection that you're going towards. Does that motivate you and kind of drive you? Um, And as you said, with the like accountability coach, do you find that you people need that? Like women need that. If you're a single mom and you're just like, okay, you know, I don't really have any friends or, um, you know, some of my friends are maybe they're renting or living with their parents and, but I'm the only one who kind of like wants to have their own house and I have all these goals, then isn't it better to have that circle of people that can kind of push you? Absolutely. Um, it's, uh, there's this book and it's my favorite book. I'll read it over and over and over again. Um, it's called how to be rich. And mm-hmm. it literally talks about the fact that we are the creators of our own wealth like manifestation is not a secret and yet we act like it is right everything Mm -hmm. that we think everything that we surround ourselves with is who we are and I remember once I first started my business I used to hear people say things like show me your five best friends and I'll show you who you are as a person Mm -hmm. and I used to think at that time like shit like (laughs) what does that make me then right and so you have to change your circle because Um, And it doesn't mean you delete people. When I was younger, it meant for me that I just deleted. If you weren't on the same trajectory as me, I'm just going to delete you. But I think that you don't need to delete people, but you also need to have tears, right? Because Mm -hmm. if you have people in your circle who, like you said, are, they're like, let's go out every Friday, let's blow $500. Meanwhile, you're eating ramen noodles because you're just trying to save that extra amount of money every month. They're always, anytime things get hard for you, they're going to do the opposite of your accountability partner. And they're going to tell you your goal was stupid Mm -hmm. with or without saying those exact words and that you should just drop it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of like peer pressure, right? You don't want to do something, but people say, come on, like, just do it. Like, whatever, whatever. 
And this is how it works with your circle. And so if you're not hanging out with people who have the same mindset as you, who are not as driven as you, well, then deep down, it means that there's something with inside of you that still needs work, right? And the only way that you can work at fixing that thing is by leveling up your circle um, mm -hmm. and, and asking the right questions to the right people. Like I've never had a mentor. And, I, and every time I say that, people are like, really? But then I never had to because the people in my household, the people who are around me, they are bosses within themselves that mm -hmm. have grown me to basically be who I am today. And then my mentorship also comes from books because sometimes people are weird. <laughs> so I'd rather learn from you from the book because you yeah. put your heart and sweat and tears into that. And so do a lot more reading. If you're somebody who doesn't like to read, um, listen to audiobooks, podcasts, yeah. right? Like for every goal, there's somebody who's written something about it. And then work on leveling up your friendship circle. And I know that I was just thinking to myself recently, COVID-19 has made it so much harder for people to network, to make new friends. Mm -hmm. uh, we all have these masks on. You can't really see if, you know, who's really in front of me. Um, and all of our conversations have become so informal, quick, very rushed. In the superstore, if I run into you and I'm trying to talk to you, you're probably thinking, why won't you shut up? Mm -hmm. And it's, we've microwaved um the opportunity for success we've microwaved technology and our ability to connect but we in now in the most connected world we have disconnected yeah and yeah. so it's really important to to try whether that's reaching out to people on social media and saying let's start a hangout let's hop on a zoom call or you know giving calls to people it's really easy now to connect with people but you have to leverage the platforms. Don't let them consume you. Yeah, leverage yeah. them so you can find the right people to network with and eventually really connect with those people so you can grow. That's a good point. Because sometimes it's like, as you said, you have sometimes tears and friends that you can go out with, friends that are maybe entrepreneurs and their bosses. So it's kind of like, okay, you know who to surround yourself with when or maybe when you're in a specific mood or season in your life. Mm -hmm. But I also found that I'm stepping completely out of like friends and going towards family or sometimes for you, you didn't have your mentor, but you may be a mentor for someone. Mm -hmm. So someone may be looking up to you and saying, oh, okay, wow. Like I want to be able to, you know, be a boss. Like I'll have how Ebony is a boss and, you know, have a business and, and be financially secure and all that kind of, all that kind of stuff. So I think it's good to possibly have a mentor and also to expand your circle definitely reading and listening to ebooks I have almost no time to sit down and read a book and I find myself listening to podcasts listening to ebooks mm -hmm. just absorbing information it's like now being home if we're in lockdown or whatever isolated turn on a, a podcast or turn on a listen to a uh, an ebook because it's just information that you can consume and it's benefiting you and it's helping you and it's growing you and in information that you can share with someone else and I find like especially with women and when it comes to finances it's good to share the tips that we have so that we can mm -hmm. help to empower each other it's like if I didn't know something then it's like I'm going to go research it or I'm going to find the information and I'm going to share it with a friend and say and then like, you're going to you know it, this yeah. and then hopefully she can share it with somebody else and then you know the cycle continues um absolutely one so, thing that I would add too is for somebody who doesn't have like because I meet people who say things like okay I don't have time to read and I don't have time to listen to this thing and one thing that I learned I believe I learned this from Ed Milet and a bunch of other leaders that I was connected to was turn your vehicle into university like I love music so most of the time this was hard for me but I did sacrifice, like I did many months where I'm like, okay, there's no music in the car. Whenever we're in the car, there's a podcast, there's an ebook. Mm -hmm. And I remember listening to Jim Quick in a podcast while I was driving. And I, I remember just taking in everything he was saying. And I learned how to speed read in maybe like a 30 minute drive. Um, and so it's, it's really important to whenever you have the time, like even while cooking, Mm -hmm. just play something because meanwhile you think that okay I'm not paying attention so heartedly but you're taking in the information and I don't know for anybody who's listening if this has ever happened to you but sometimes you're in a space where you're like somebody needs something and then you just spit out something and you're like wait how did I know that and mm -hmm. it's because subconsciously we're we're like um 
our minds are malleable, right? Mm -hmm. We're like uh, sponges. And so we're always soaking up information. And that's why it's so positive going back to the circle. It's so important to be conscious of what you're absorbing, right? Because you can be absorbing oil and grease Mm -hmm. and slowly but surely it's peeling away at everything that you've been working to to get. But at the same time, if you're conscious of your circle, you could be sitting in a room of millionaires (laughs) sleeping and you're taking all of their tips without even realizing. Yeah, definitely. That's a big one. That's a big one. It's absorbing the information. And I, I think I love listening to eBooks now. Like I'd mm-hmm. rather same thing in my car because if I'm doing long drives, it's like, okay, let's not listen to music. Let's turn on a podcast. If it's learning about cryptocurrency on a podcast mm-hmm. or um, listening about like the markets, the oil stocks and this stocks, if you can learn so much, you can be a complete, complete amateur and say, you know what? I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to learn something new that I've never thought to learn. Mm-hmm. And you can do that on a podcast or on a, on an ebook. So it's something new. I would definitely say for the new year, even for gift giving, I might even gift like an audiobook. You know, oh, yeah. To learn something new to learn something about the, the financial markets or something about budgeting, even though it might, that people may not like it, but it's a good tool. I think it should even be like taught in schools when it comes to managing Absolutely. your financing, managing your finances and about economics and budgeting. It's, it can really make or break a person as we get older, if we don't kind of hone those skills and have those skills of how we, having to manage our money and Absolutely. growing our money. Because in Canada, yes, we have our pension, but with the state of the economy right now, like it's not going to take us very far. You know, if it comes oh, to no. paying off your mortgage, if your house isn't paid off, if you're renting, those costs are going to go up, but your pension is going to pretty much stay the same. I don't think it's, I don't think it's geared towards inflation. It's pretty much the same amount. No, unless you have like, the thing is pensions are amazing. If you work for the government, if you work in healthcare and you have like a hoop pension, congratulations to you because your retirement is set. Most Canadians don't have employers that give good pensions. And if you're relying on CPP, like CPP is going to buy you mac and cheese because Mm -hmm. I think what most people forget is we're alive for such a long period of time after we retire 65 to at least age 85 or 100 look how many years that is that you need to fend for yourself and you're Mm -hmm. not working um baby boomers are the perfect example of these people because so many of them are still alive my great-grandmother she's turning oh my gosh she's turning 100 she just turned 104 this year Yes. Okay. But, and she still collects CPP. So if you think about it, CPP is this thing we're all paying into, but the baby boomers are still alive and mm-hmm. therefore they're draining it. And yeah. then the next generation will drain it. And then the next generation. So by the time us as millennials or Gen Z's or Gen Y's are supposed to take from this thing, we may get an extra hundred dollars every so often and we'd appreciate it, but you still have to plan absolutely 100%. Otherwise, um, another thing that you mentioned is you, you talked a little bit about money habits, right? And the importance of gifting these things, which I so wholeheartedly believe in. Um, and the reason why is because our money habits come from us being a sponge when we were younger, mm-hmm. right? So many of us have all these money habits and we don't know where they came from and we don't know where they didn't come from, but we know that we have them and it's because we learned them from somewhere. Yeah. And this is a concept that I leveraged uh, and talk about as money blocks, right? Uncovering what they are. Some of them is as little as like, I don't have enough money. I used to be, I used to have the worst scarcity mindset. And it was so bad because I went from scarcity mindset to full blown diva. It was like, there was no, I just sucked. <laughs> I did that. that. <laughs> and, and so, but it's, it's funny because I met my boyfriend and then he was like, why are you so frugal? And then it was watching him do certain things that I became that diva and then curtailed it back. But I think if I hadn't met him, I'd still have that scarcity mindset. Like you have 50 bucks and you're like, "Mm, I don't want to spend it because this could be my last. And those mindsets affect how we do everything. Mm -hmm. And so you want to sit down and think about, yes, uh, what am I sponging in when I'm around my circle, when I'm just out and about, when I'm on social media, but what have I already soaked in, in terms of my money habits and money beliefs and how can I change them? So like you said, leveraging things like eBooks, some people hate to get books. 
Um, and for like for all my nephews and like my nieces, I'm sorry, but they're gonna get books their entire life because mm-hmm. they'll learn so much so long as they read it. Mm-hmm. And so you can make somebody a millionaire by saying, I'm gonna give you this $14.99, you know, credit, but if they don't read it, they may never know what was on the other side of that. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's really, really important for us to just again constantly be sponges in a positive way like even social media, LinkedIn, there's so many different pages dedicated to investing. And like, it's like investing for dummies and they're colorful. They empower you. They'll give you like, there's one page that my boyfriend watches all the time. And it's like, this stock pays this much in dividends. Great. I don't have to do the research. They've already broken down the balance sheets and profit and loss. And so if these people are dedicating their time to doing that for you, they make it so much easier. Cause like you said, you can be an amateur with very little time, but if you have five minutes to scroll on social media and you're just scrolling down the right page, mm-hmm. they've prepped you now to go out in the world and begin investing. Yeah. I mean, I'm a very, very amateur investor. I mean, I tried options, tried, it's a bit too risky for me <laughs> and I'm still trying to like grasp it, but it's a little bit too risky for me. So I'm just going to stick with regular equities, but I mean, I'd sit and I watch BNN and mm-hmm. at noon when they have like their guests and just taking down, okay, let me look at the stock and even just thinking about, okay, what do I like? What is the stuff that I use every day? And by mm-hmm. doing that, it's like, okay, I found stuff that I like. Let me look at, you know, maybe look at this funder, look at this company. And that helped because then it kept my interest. And then it's like, okay, mm-hmm. I have my interest, but then I'm also making money at the same time. And then mm-hmm. you can kind of, okay, let me look at maybe oil stocks and you look at maybe mining stocks and you look at gold and you look at this and then it just kind of brought it kind of just escalated and kind of grew which was great but then and by doing so I actually was thinking about thinking about okay I want to learn this because I want to share these tips or what I've learned with my son Mm -hmm. I want to try and build generational wealth and I want to teach him this and how to save how to budget and I know that that's just like the groundwork but then it's like okay how to make money while you're sleeping like that's Mm -hmm. like almost everyone's dream it's like okay I want to retire at 45 or retire at 50 and live off of my dividends yeah that was like when I started investing I was like oh I can you can live off dividends Mm -hmm. like yeah let me just invest money and live off dividends that's the dream (laughs) like and honestly you raised a really good point too like generational wealth there's some people that would be like, I will buy a lottery ticket every single day. This is a whole other segment. But if you invest in lottery tickets religiously every day, every week, if you just put that money somewhere that was growing, you could win the lottery yourself. Yeah. But <laughs> anyways, there's some people who believe that there's no other way to uh, accrue wealth other than winning the lottery. And the thing is, people are like, okay, let me win it. And then I'll have generational wealth that I can pass down. But one thing that I ask is when you pass down the money to the next generation, if there's no financial literacy that goes down with it, they're just going to blow it. Right. And then you didn't pass down anything but a pipe dream. Mm -hmm. And so those ground like foundation works that you mentioned, that's so important because if you become a millionaire, billionaire, and you're like, here you go, honey. It's like, what do they do with it and how do they leverage it? And like you said, if it were to run out, how do they make it back? Yeah. Um, because a lot of people, we, we build up a lot of wealth and we don't transfer for really smart parents. They usually transfer their investments over where their children are then the owners, right? So yeah. they take on whatever was already set up and it continues growing. A lot of people though, just leave them as a beneficiary, which means it comes out and it goes into their high interest less than 1% account. And they now have to figure out, okay, how do I find a financial professional to help me with this? Where do I put the money? What is my risk tolerance? And so again, you leave them with a bunch of questions and no roadmap on to how they can build wealth for themselves Mm -hmm. and continue to grow the wealth that you've built. Because generational wealth can end after the first generation receives it if they're not prepped enough. Yeah, yeah. And I find um, like if you seeing like kind of like affluent families it's like they were taught this stuff and -hmm. it was kind of almost ingrained in them and I find like maybe in in black culture and for a black woman it's like 
I know for myself and for in my family, it's like, it wasn't ingrained and it wasn't taught. It was almost just that kind of like saving, like you can save yourself to being rich. And I Mm -hmm. don't think that's true. I think you have to use financial tools and educate yourself to build your wealth that way. You still have to be hardworking. Like money's not just going to grow on the tree. You have to mm-hmm. be hardworking and you have to educate yourself too. Um, but teaching your children, um, not just like, okay, just save, 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 save. And then you're, you're going to be a millionaire. No, you have to use these financial tools and grow your wealth that way. Instead mm-hmm. of, as I said, just saving, it's, it's not going to it's not going to get you there. It's not going to build the generational wealth that we really want to build of, you know, having millions of dollars and having, you know, multiple properties, that kind of wealth that you can give to your children and then teach them. Okay. Or having, if you don't know, then maybe having like a wealth manager. Mm -hmm. I think it's so funny that you mentioned this because I'm actually launching a series to talk about this but the thing is with the the black community on a whole and this is the power of financial literacy and i think that we take it for granted is that we have to remember that our culture was not allowed to to access this right and so when we think of like our parents mm-hmm. they're kind of like more nuanced they have an idea of some things maybe they weren't pros and they didn't know how to articulate it but they got some things going for them right mm-hmm. their parents probably had like very little idea and when you think and you fast forward we go to people who had no idea and saving was all they knew. And so I think the buck really stops and starts here in that with millennials, we're able to then now we're like savvy investors. We're people who are like really knowledgeable about financial literacy. And it it, it's like a big responsibility to pass on, Mm -hmm. but it's our job to make sure that going forward from like the next line of black community everybody is financially literate yes and it starts with us and every generation that comes after us so that we can do that because unfortunately our parents grew up in households where money was not necessarily a topic for most people they don't know if their parents were wealthy or broke they only know if they were wealthy or broke by the way that they lived Uh, and the great thing about black community is that we oftentimes we can be in the worst position and it still seems like we're in the best position. We yes. have lots of fun. We have lots of jokes and that's what we carry. Um, but for a lot of people, and when I talk to a lot of people, they think of these jokes and the way they lived and they don't realize that the reason that they slept in a car and, and camped out was because they were probably homeless for a weekend. Yeah. And so I think that, again, it's financial literacy. I get so passionate about it because you can change the world if you have access to the right tools, but the right information Um, because we could all, like I said, we could all be rich. We could buy Maseratis for the entire black community and houses, and it wouldn't do anything if there's no financial literacy, if we don't pass down that information. And that's why I love hearing people say like, for my kid, I want to, I want to teach them the steps that I took. And I want to have an understanding of how to do certain things so that when they're ready, if they ask, or if they don't, I can give that knowledge to them. And at least if after that, they're like, I'm just going to spend all my money and I'm not going to save, you know, that you did your best. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. With kids, like it's, and with the, with the black community and just trying to, I think also encourage people to want to learn that instead of Mm -hmm. having kind of like the stigma of just like, maybe almost like it's not meant for us. Like we're, Mm -hmm. no, we're not really meant to be rich or like it's, it's a pipe dream. Like that's never going to be me. Like, I'm just going to work my job at Walmart or just work my, work my office job. Like, no, I'll never, I'll never like own a home or own multiple properties. Like that's like, that's for those people, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, it's actually possible. We can get there just because we don't see it in, you know, on, on, on TV or on social media all the time. But yeah, we have very successful black people in the community and people who are, um, who are doing this and who, want to teach and want to grow and help the community grow so um it definitely is possible i think it's just encouraging and keeping up that kind of um that idea Mm -hmm. that it's possible and and you can do it too and even if it's slowly saving and just you know putting away money every single month and educating yourself and wanting to educate yourself on it so it's definitely possible absolutely so I wanted also, if there's anything that maybe with your brand and with your company that's coming up, any 
um, that you'd want to share? Um, yeah, so I have a couple of really interesting stuff, um, events, campaigns coming up. Um, I always recommend for people to follow me, uh, underscore Ebony, E-B-O-N-I dot E-L-L-E. And that's because I always share these financial tips. Like everything that I give, I understand that some people are at different stages in their financial journey. So some people want to talk to somebody and some people don't want anything to do with people. They just want to be the sponge and they want to learn. So I provide that environment. I do have an event coming up um, in January, um, the Secure the Bag Summit, which is going to be pretty awesome. And it will kind of be like a roadmap to get yourself um, financially literate, both in personal and business finance, but also to accelerate your goals and dreams within your business or within your career. So it's going to be like a huge thing with industry leaders for people to kind of figure out which side of the spectrum they're on with entrepreneurship or um, career work and figuring out how they can progress in 2022 and really max out that monetary goal, but also influence and, um, you know, a bunch of other things that are attached with growth. And of course, in February, even though the dates aren't released, I know for sure I'm having an IG live segment. Um, I believe I'm going to call it Freedom Fridays, but I said it out loud. So I'm sure that's what it is. (laughs) Um, It just came to you like it just came. Freedom Fridays is a segment is happening in February, like I said, and it's really to touch on how the Black community can leverage financial literacy to um, elevate ourselves on a whole and to really start to control a bunch of things for ourselves. Um, So it's a very powerful IG Live segment, um, and I would recommend that people tune in and you'll find all of that information about everything coming on my social media as well. Right. So I'm going to put your Instagram in the show notes and then i'm sure on your instagram you have a ton of as you said information and stuff's coming up in january and february and a lot of content on uh, <laughs> on financial literacy and on finances and and growing growing that bag growing <laughs> that bag okay i have one like quick quick tidbit i guess that i would ask of you any book recommendations like one to three books on finances that are a must read? I'm literally looking at them right now. Um, How to Be Rich. Um, That's the book that I mentioned earlier. It touches on mindset, eliminating your money blocks. It's the must. Like erase everything that you learned and start there. Um, The other one is, uh, there's this other one called uh, Personal Finances. It's a white and blue book. It's a Canadian perspective. That book is extremely dry, even for somebody who likes to read. However, it breaks down everything from interest to taxes to how do you uh, invest in stocks to how do you research stocks. And then the last one I would say is making money in real estate. Um, That one is a really good one. The author's name I can't read from here, um, but it's a really good book. The cover is yellow and gray. I love that I'm telling you these things. <laughs> I'll look it. it up and I'll put everything in the show notes because I'm probably going to look at these books and see if they're available as an ebook. Yeah, and, and they're all available. Uh, for sure, the Making Money in Real Estate is an audiobook. And that one's extremely dry also. But I learned so much about the market and about timing um, down to legality, to uh, mortgage structures, all of these things that most of us won't know and and the things that will allow you to get played in the market, Mm -hmm. this teaches you so that you don't get played. Um, And so it's really important. And I think all in all, they kind of tie together to show you how you can leverage different vehicles and mindsets to attain growth and wealth. Awesome. Awesome. Books to look for and looking into your, your Instagram and your content coming up. Okay, Ebony, I want to thank you so much. I hope this will be the first and last time that you're on the Sister Sister podcast. Hopefully, maybe January, February, we can connect again and do another episode. Again, I want to thank you. Any last words? Uh, I just want to thank you so much for having me and definitely not the last time that you see me on the podcast. Um, But thank you so much. And thank you for everything that you're doing with the podcast. I'm excited to see the information and motivation that transpires to women from this. Um, And I'm so happy that I was able to take part in a small way. 
you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend or a family member. Also, don't forget to leave us a review. You can find me on Instagram at TrueMommyAndMe, where I share my daily life being a mom, wife, sister, and friend. If you're interested in sharing your story and being a guest, please contact me via email, which you can find in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time.